Hello, welcome to Drunk Bitches and Politics, where bitches get drunk and talk politics. Tonight we have Ray, Jen, Mishy, and I'm Michelle, your host. So grab a drink of your choice, drunk delegates, and let's get started. All right. So what are we drinking tonight, Mishy? Tonight we have a Firebrand Red Spice Blend. Grape wine with natural flavors added. I don't know what that means. <laughs> what is it? What did it say? Grape wine with natural flavors added. Is grape not natural? Wait, where did you get this? <laughs> Look, okay, so. Um, did you get it on a corner before you got to I my house not. tonight? I did not. I, I swung by Total Wine yesterday. I bought two bottles before we um, were going to the radio station for our interview and then found out in the car that we couldn't drink there. But the problem was, I was so focused on finding sweet bitch wine that I spent all my time trying to find it. All I found was the Moscato one, and I ran out of time to find a red, so I just basically grabbed something. Oh, and it shows. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Today's pathetic pick is brought to you by Ray. (laughs) It gets better, though. I like natural flavors. I'd rather natural flavors than artificial. So it says Firebrim Spiced Red Blend is a special holiday treat, God, and it's like May, um, <laughs> that is handcrafted according to old world tradition. This special blend features a delicious combination of full-bodied wine, sweetened and spiced with apple, cinnamon, vanilla, oak, and citrus notes. Serve at room temperature, but Ray put it in an ice box, or heat slowly to enjoy it hot. Happy holidays from Fireplanes. I suddenly feel really good know, about girls, my... I you know. know. Yeah, I feel so good about my 7-Eleven pick now. <laughs> well, it has 14.5% alcohol, Hi. so... It's Happy holidays. Never too early for Christmas? I Not for Jen. Never for sure. that shit. people at the wine place that you can ask we're a sweet bitch but that means i have to talk to people are, <laughs> I are you a man you can't ask for directions you can't ask for, ask for directions i just hate talking to I people mean, in stores it tastes like a hot toddy <laughs> <laughs> you know what it's it's alcohol Michi, i got corona in the fridge yeah all right well <laughs> Well, it'll wear well, itself out. Cheers. Well, I was gonna say glug glug me. Oh god. <laughs> Give her yeah. some of that holiday. Happy holiday. <laughs> <laughs> la 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 la. Damn. Wow. This is amazing. Firebrand, wow. shout out. Oh my god, I can smell it. <laughs> it smells like a holiday. Piece. So Firebrand will not be a sponsor. <laughs> it's. Smells- sponsor we're, we're ripping them to shreds this is what you drink after you're drunk right yeah. <laughs> to settle your stomach but it's all good 14.5 percent alcohol after a glass I won't so avoid. the and it's because my nose is stopped up mm-hmm. i can't smell it when i'm putting i like when right there to there oh it's spicy oh so, it definitely has a spice yeah it's but, a holiday <laughs> <laughs> we're drinking this in may <laughs> It's Normally my Christmas tree is still up, so we like would actually feel up right at home. Christmas but. in May. Yeah. 
London, this okay. one's for you because you got your Christmas tree still up. <laughs> shout out London. Shout out London. Yeah. Speaking so, of shout outs, I do want to give um, a shout out. Oh, I'm sorry, Jim. I'm so sorry. <laughs> you do want to talk about your your sweet bitch. Yeah. I apologize. I oh, have. Sorry, that was just such a good se- segue. Sorry, yeah. I gave it to you. Oh, you did. Ray, I get, too early. I get so I excited. Threw it too, too early. So, <laughs> Ray picked out picked this out for me because she knows how much I love my sweet wines. I got I like a sweet buzz. Um, so I'm drinking sweet bitch Moscato Rosé. And um, it is is really good. It's sweet, and it's Moscato, and it's rosé, <laughs> and it's a twelve point five percent alcohol. Oh my gosh! I think that's a record. I know. Oh my god! I'm gonna get so hammered. Just kidding. <laughs> um, it has a dog. Well, actually, on the front it's got some chick's eyes, but on the back it looks like what is that? A dog. It's like a white. It's like a wolf. Samoyed. Oh, sweet bitch! It's a. It's a it's girl. A bitch. Dog. Yes, it's a girl dog. Samoyed, and she looks. She looks sweet. She does. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. so that she looks like she could bite your face off. Yeah. That, well, you well know. so does Jed. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's a compliment. It is. It is. It's a compliment. I bought her a T-shirt that says something to that effect, <laughs> didn't I? Oh, something about like I'll impale you with my unicorn horn or some <laughs> yeah. shit like that. Yeah. Uh, all right. So yay! I got all excited about your wonderful segue to me, Ray. I, I just know. jumped the gun. <laughs> like I'm already into topic three or something. I know. No, but I did want to give special shout out to some drunk super delegates. The super drunk delegates. Bethany. <laughs> Leah, Piper, thank you so much for your shares, for your comments. Greatly appreciated. Keep it up. Your support. Love it. We love you. Women Um, uplifting women. Yes. Thanks, ladies. Thank Thank you. It means so much to us. You're the best around. (laughs) (laughs) Would it be an episode without an 80s 80s music reference? Um. There isn't a real good segue for this to talk about domestic terror. Let's get serious. No, there really but, isn't. Um, we're gonna try. We're, I, we're gonna try to make it funny, just because the Trump organization always seems to, or Trump White House or whatever, seems to make everything a joke. Yes. To the American people. So, what what are they doing to our domestic terrorism um, department? We're all gonna okay. die. Well, uh, first I want to uh, bring back up the fact that last Saturday there was yet another white nationalist who decided to shoot up a synagogue. So that is twice in, the second time in six months that we have had that happen. So like the mosque shooter in New Zealand, and that's who he drew his inspiration from, he published a manifesto, described his intentions, and ahead of actually committing the crime. And so the FBI learned about that post from a tipster only a few minutes before the attack commenced. And what's frustrating about that is just weeks ago, the Department of Homeland Security disbanded its domestic terrorism intelligence unit, which if they were in existence, we might have had some help with this. The some insight onto Yes, yeah. exactly. Somebody tra- tracking this person. Right, somebody yeah. looking into this type of thing because those people on 4chan and 8chan are nuts. And they continue to mm-hmm. feed and fester and encourage each other. Right. 
at least in the olden days, like you had to really work hard to find other lunatics, you know? <laughs> yeah. But now, now you can. And they're a dime just, a dozen now. Yeah. Just cool. Advertising themselves. And it's easier to get together. I, I mean, we think about the beauty of things like Facebook and the internet for finding other like minded people and how wonderful it is. And it can be very wonderful until you're talking about crazy people. Mm -hmm. And crazy people find each other and hate just feeds hate. Yeah. So that's where we get into this domestic terror intelligence unit that was part of the uh, Department of Homeland Security. And unfortunately, it has been disbanded. They were a group of intelligence analysts who focused on domestic terrorism. There were numerous current and former DHS officials who say that they find the development concerning as the threat of homeland, homegrown terrorism, which includes white supremacist terrorism, is growing. And this group focused on the threat from homegrown violent extremists and domestic terrorists. The analysts there would share their information with state and local law enforcement so they could help protect their communities from these threats. And now they don't have it. And so what we're seeing is it's especially problematic given the growth in right-wing extremism and domestic terrorism that we're seeing in the U.S. and abroad. It's extremely frustrating because the police forces, I mean, they can only do so much. They get these tips. And we don't have this unit that was totally focused on that. I mean, we have the FBI, but I mean, when you want to talk about Homeland Security, right now our biggest threat is in our borders, not outside our borders. Right. 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 And local law enforcement is not trained <clears throat> for handling domestic terrorism threats. Right. You know, there's only so much that they're trained for, and most of it is reactionary. They have the artillery. They do. But and they don't have the training. Right. They're trained to react. They're not trained to intercept. And so... This right. is why when they do this come upon somebody, problem. if they're not white, they shoot them 4,000 times. So... So I know, Jen, you had some thoughts on this, but I was just so extremely frustrated with hearing that that had been disbanded, despite the fact that we have these growing threats. Right. Um, well, I mean, a, a lot of what I wanted to say kind of, you know, in tandem with what you wanted to talk about was was kind of talking about the flip side. But, I mean, as far as the disbanding Homeland Security's domestic terrorism unit, um, that it's I feel ridiculous saying it out loud because I feel like I'm wearing a tinfoil hat when I say it. But the longer this goes on, the more realistic it seems that they do this on purpose. No, like there are people in the Trump administration right now who <clears throat> want the domestic, te the I'm sorry, the uh, the KKK and the white nationalists and these these crazy chads in their polo shirts with their tiki Hitler torches. Shoes. Yeah, they they want them to continue with their plans and meeting and doing everything that they want to do without anybody watching them. Right. And I think you're. I don't think you've got a tinfoil hat on. I think you're yeah, absolutely right. And, like I just I. I feel they want it, they want it, they want chaos. Oh, well, I feel like I'm having an out of body experience when I say <clears throat> the administration of the president of the United States has completely turned the cameras off so that way our domestic terrorists can continue to and, and grow mm -hmm. and make this worse. Right. And that's terrifying. You they know, want they the think people it's a scared. They, that, they want people to be in fear. They want them to be scared. Yeah. So he never leaves. Yeah. Well, and they, but, but that's they, what happens. I mean, they just want our guys, our people here. You saw his tweet today. Um, can you pull I up? I did it. Oh my God. I got to find it. I'll find it during, <laughs> like during a break. And we'll I don't, talk I, about I haven't, I haven't seen it. He had people from a church. It was like a church thing today or some kind of religious thing or something on the White House lawn. And he was acting like he was all religious and shit. Oh, I heard but him he say something about There God. are those doghouse whistles. Doghouse. Oh my God. The dog whistles. <laughs> Um, about 
um, our people and our country. I mean, he mm-hmm. it was completely, you know, here, boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that it's it's terrifying because it sounds like the very thing I watched movies about all my life. I love movies. I love reading, you know, nonfiction about or fiction about um, and science fiction about these these you know times in the future where things like this happen only in the movies and now it's happening mm-hmm. right in front of me i'm just like is this for real <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna kind of blend this in with gun violence because on you know in addition to domestic violence we have a serious serious public safety issue with gun violence and um you know I, I haven't looked into whether or not the the shooter at the synagogue or the shooter at UNCC or UNC um, or you know all the shooters in the last right. two weeks um, whether or not they obtained their guns legally who they got their guns from whether or not it was from a parent things like that but something tells me that that shooter was able to buy his gun legally um, in one form or another mm-hmm. whether he had to go to another state or he traveled from another straight state anything like that. Yeah, we, we don't know the details of that yet. I don't know the details okay. of that. I, I, okay. I don't think that's been released yet. If it has, I haven't, I haven't looked in the last yeah. few hours. You know, I mean, I could go, you guys know me, I could go on and on and on about what we, you know, all of the problems with gun violence in this country and what has led to the problems. Um, but what I actually want to do is I want to give some people something, good, some good news, something good to hear out of all of this because a lot of people when they talk about gun violence and when every time one of these shootings happens, they seem defeated. They feel like that, you know, that what's the point? Why bother? No one's going to do anything. But I think if you take a step back and I was one of those people, even, you know, recently, but if you take a big step back and you take a look at the, the bigger picture, Sandy Hook was not the end of reasonable people in this country. Right. It was the very beginning. Because Sandy Hook spawned off so many new gun violence prevention advocacy groups. And, you know, between, you got um, from Sandy Hook Promise to Newtown Action Alliance, um, which actually Newtown Action Alliance, they did a very um, aggressive legislative approach, uh, starting with a ban on assault weapons, which unfortunately didn't pass. But because of groups like that, and because of Sandy Hook, Shannon Watts started Moms Demand Action. And mm-hmm. she started out from a Facebook page. She just started a Facebook group. She had 75 friends on her Facebook and started a group. And it just it went from there. And that was six years ago. And so it went from a small Facebook group to now there's a chapter in every single state. There's more than 2,100 active volunteer leaders in the in Moms Demand Action, and there are, we have five million supporters, we have hundreds of thousands of volunteers in every single state taking an approach of of uh, approaching our state legislation. Mm-hmm. So, on top of the U.S. Senate and the U.S. Congress, I mean, we're, like, our goal, like, our main objective is to get sensible gun laws passed. Right. And... You know, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say I'm gonna quote somebody. I think this is the perfect this this explained it so succinctly from Christopher Murphy out of Connecticut, uh, Senator Chris Murphy out of Connecticut. There was logic to the idea that if Sandy Hook didn't create an epiphany in this country, what will? 
but that's not how po politics works. There are almost no epiphany moments in American politics. You have to build your power, and we had none of it. Here we are six years later. We have a majority gun sense candidate um, house. The you know, we took back the house right. as Democrats, and the majority of them were all gun sense candidates through every town for gun safety. Um, the United States Congress passed a universal background check bill mandating universal background checks for all gun sales. Whether or not it goes through Senate, I don't know. Right. The NRA is imploding. They That's are true. like they are they're they're on fire. They are a car accident waiting to explode. For that was the perfect headline that I saw today. It made me so excited that the idea of the NRA exploding on the side of the right. road. So that's the good news is that I know anybody listening to this, including myself and and probably us in the room, there have been times, especially in the last few months, where it feels like nothing's going to change. It's horrible. You know what's the point? But I'm telling you guys, things are changing. It's happening. Mm -hmm. It may seem slow, and we have we have to build more. Um, you know, we have to build more power. Right. We're almost there. So, the solution or the things that you can do to help prevent gun violence or, or join the gun violence prevention movement, you can join Moms Demand Action. You can join one of the many gun violence prevention coalitions that are all over this country. All you have to do is Google it. You know, I'm partial to moms. <laughs> there's even tangentials of that. There's like educators or teachers. There's yeah, there's a educators demand action, which is um, a group of teachers and educators uh, that talk about that. Are they you know they focus specifically on legislation that's trying to arm teachers. Uh, we have gun owner. We have a, a gun owners division of moms demand action that we're trying to kind of build a little bit more information out there. But it's you know because. A lot of people think Moms Demand Action volunteers don't own guns. I'm a gun owner. There's tons of gun owners in Moms Demand right. Action. You know, 91% of Americans want sensible gun laws. Right. Right. And you, those include people that own guns. And that includes people that own guns. <laughs> so, um, Did you mention students? There's Students Demand Action, okay. yes. They formed after Parkland. There's several different groups that you can join. And contact your legislators. Contact your lawmakers. Um, and that starts, and I'm, you know, this starts in your city too, not just your state lawmakers and Congress and Senate. This, you know, you need to talk to your city municipalities also. So, whenever you read these stories, it's all about, you know, the shooting that happened, how horrible it is, how gun laws have never passed. Um, but the media needs to start also talking about what can be done to change this. When you see a, a story about a child who got a hold of a gun and unintentionally shot himself or somebody else in the room, the media needs to talk about the fact that that gun was left out and not stored properly. Um, the police need to say that too. That needs to be quoted. Or in even every if story. it's a, it was in the closet in a box, the box wasn't locked. Yeah, right. and the kids closet knew where. Wasn't locked, and the, I whatever. mean, I knew where all our guns were growing up. Yeah, but I also knew not to touch them, or my dad would kick my fucking ass. Yeah, but not all the kids care about that. I mean, it's because clear. not all parents possibly have never. You know, they may take their kids hunting. They may even take them to the gun range. But then when they come home, they don't say. You're not allowed to get that gun out while you're in the house. And my dad had rifles in our house when we were growing up. I didn't know where they were, and I also knew they weren't loaded. Yeah. But well, I I was raised around guns. Yeah. I grew up. I mean, I I was taught everything about guns at a very ridiculously early age. Um, but I didn't touch them because I was afraid of them. Also, I mean, it was kind of like a respectful fear of them, mm -hmm. knowing that you know, 
this could go off and hurt me. Because Papa always made it clear, never aim a gun at somebody unless you plan on pulling the trigger. Right. My dad said the same thing, and so did my pawpaws. I mean, that funny that, that was. Stuff, yeah, we look, we grew up thousands of miles from each other. Yeah, and, and it was, thing. but it was set into my mind that these are not toys. But parents just aren't, you know, this it's not happening these days. And so these kids are finding it. They're curious, and even if you tell your kids, "Don't ever play with this. This is not a toy." Kids are curious. Kids are right. going to do mm-hmm. what they want to do, and and we see this time and time again. You know, I guess going back to my point is that the media needs to start giving people direction. What are you gonna do about this? Well, this is what this is one thing you can do. So anyway, I just wanted to, to kind of give somebody give a little- Give some hope. Give some hope. Give a line. Yeah, <laughs> we a appreciate line. it, yeah. we appreciate it, awesome. yeah. Yeah, no, thank you, because it always does seem like a dismal. Yeah, it yeah, seems like, like, like awful. Like nothing, <laughs> nothing that anybody's doing is doing any good, but it mm-hmm. is, we have to chip away at it, right? Just like yeah, we do a lot of loss, right? <laughs> Doing a lozenge. Drinking a Christmas tree. I'm sure that I'm sure that our menthol lozenges would go great Ugh. with that red spice wine. <laughs> it's you not want, bad. Maybe some peppermint. Like a Christmas tree. It's not bad. No. <laughs> it's like you could warm it up. They said you could warm it up. <laughs> oh, I, mm. oh okay. So speaking of contacting your leaders. And also the fact that we just got a whole bunch of new leaders mm-hmm. in the house, um, not just in the U.S., but in several states, including Texas. Um, we have Mishy here to talk to us today about FLIP. Mishy, what is FLIP? Uh, so Texas FLIP is a program started by Battleground Texas, which is an organization I used to work for. They initially started to turn the state in favor of Hillary, but by doing it via Wendy Davis. Battleground is the reason why we ended up with the nine point state in 2016. Gosh, years ago, like, so feels fast. like a decade ago. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So what Battleground decided to do is that they, their philosophy is that they want the leadership to reflect its constituency. Um, that we have a whole bunch of old white dudes at state ledge who are making the laws for the rest of everyone else, and pretty soon Texas is not going to be a majority white state. And their whole philosophy is that they want to take people who are leaders in their community, people who are organizing, people who are politically apt, who are doing the work in their communities, who are leaders, and equipment, equip, ugh, and equip, hello, wine. Hello, wine, <laughs> and equip them with the tools to either run for office or manage campaigns for other people of color or whatever. And I see this all the time as a campaign manager myself. A lot of most often times. When I walk into a room, I'm the only person of color that's there. Um, And their goal is to try to break the mold on that and put in more finance directors of color, more campaign managers of color, more directors of color in campaigns and organizations. Um, So this weekend... So not just, just real quick, just because I don't know a whole lot about this organization. So not just candidates. Not just candidates. The people running. People running the the campaigns. People And that's so much more important, right? So much more important. how do you educate... Right. Uh, yeah, somebody running for office. So it was an entire weekend of basically teaching candidates how to be candidates and talking and getting their experiences because these aren't people they just plucked off the street. Mm. These are people who already are doing the work. So it's kind of collaborative in that approach is that you were getting the experience of people who are on the ground doing the work and you were getting uh, the experience of how Battleground as an, as an organization approaches certain things and kind of intertwining those two things together. 
Um, so it was really, it was awesome. Um, they went through a process where they accepted, they took 150 applications and accepted about 40 people. And I was one of the people that was selected to go. Hashtag, uh, she's a badass. <laughs> Everybody wants some mission. Um, it was, I was very honored. Again, this is an organization I'd worked for um, that taught me a lot. And just to be in a room where people of color were the majority and these people will experience, people giving you the experiences, telling you what they're doing on their corner of the planet and what their vision is of uh, what they see their future communities looking like. So this is supposed to be a program that is geared towards shifting what leadership looks like in the state of Texas, but these are people who have all different backgrounds. I mean, there were, I wasn't the only person of African descent there. There was a guy from Nigeria, there was a guy from Ethiopia. Um, there was just a really good mixture of people uh, who are leaders in their community, and I feel like Battleground is making an investment, and within a couple of years, that investment is going to be fruitful because we have a couple of candidates who are sitting in who are thinking about running. We've got people who are running for city council in El Paso. Uh, we've got all sorts of people awesome. who are gearing to start their campaigns and change the face of leadership. So I'm very excited to see what is coming next with Texas Flip. Uh, we're going to go through the course of the next six months, uh, respectively in our professions and um, going through certain assignments and things that are going to lead us towards where we're trying to go. So you got homework. So we've got homework. <laughs> we've, got, <laughs> we've got goals and things that we need to achieve towards graduation, which is like six months from now in Austin. Um, and I'm excited to see what they're going to be putting on our plate. I met a, I met a lot of cool people. I met uh, the director of Any's List, who's a black woman, a Rice Harvard graduate, super awesome. It was the mentors that they gave people, the people that they introduced. These were people of color who are like in the highest platforms, who are super intelligent and doing just amazing work. Mishy has said so many amazing things about um, Royce. About sorry. <laughs> yes, her name is like, Royce. Um, I'm obsessed. But you've said so many amazing things about her that I'm kind of in love with her. She's so amazing. <laughs> I was so in love with her aura. She gave really good advice. And she was. Does she know that you're in love with her yet? Oh, she knew because I was like, <laughs> I, I immediately went up there and I was like, because you don't add it very well, is what no, I'm thinking. No, no, no. I was like, I need your card and we need to talk. And she was like, take my number. When next time I'm in Dallas, we sit down. We need to have lunch. So I'm really excited. It's, it was a series of like people who were connecting themselves to each other. Like I had a guy who lived in Houston and he did some community organizing, but he was like, you know, I really want to get into policy. And I don't, I don't know how to crack my foot in it because it's really hard, you know, for a man of color who's never done any policy work. I was like, I work on a campaign. Why don't you come on with us and let's start building up your policy legs because that's a, no one enters into this knowing how to do it. Right. Um, and also, they don't start writing policy for presidential candidates. No, they don't. You start right. small You start, races. and you start yeah. under somebody. Boards, and you do, and cancel, like, yeah. what, you know. And he, he wanted to do it. And I was HOA, like, I know you live in anything. Houston, but we have the internet. So let's work on some white papers, let's do some stuff, and let's see if we can get your policy legs going. Um, so it was really good to be reunited by certain people I'd worked with in the industry. Red Out came and gave a speech. It was so awesome to see was. It was really... You know, it Wait, was, did, did, did I read our chat right that you had a plaque? Was there a plaque? Oh, <laughs> uh, 
Apparently, there is a, a picture of me that hangs <laughs> in the Battleground offices. And uh, Jess, who was one of the directors of Battleground, was like, when you walked in the room, I was like, oh my God, that's her. I was like, that's hilarious. <laughs> because I, I ended up. We never got a picture of the picture. I never, because I never went to headquarters. But oh, I, I, they were telling I, you. I, they were telling me about gotcha. it. Okay. Um, and it was really hilarious because I. I ended up on so much literature for Battleground. I'm like, I need like a percentage. Right. I'm on the website. I'm on all yeah. sorts Where's of my checks? Right. Where's my cash out? Um, but <laughs> I, I had a really great time. And just collectively being around people of color who do the work that I do or trying to enter into that kind of work was a really good collective. And you also took your daughters. I did take my girls. I took them to Austin to go see Reda's office because I wanted Sydney to see it. Where she um, might be working one day. Yeah, where she <laughs> might be working one day. Right. Um, Zoe slept through the whole thing. Uh, no in, way. In her wagon. She was just like, I'm done. She was done with Austin. So just done. Yeah. Yeah, she was like. Because she'd stayed up till 3 o'clock in the morning yes, with mommy yes, doing work. Yeah. And then she passed out all day. So, so it, it was really awesome. And there are all of these programs that are sprouting out everywhere, not just in Texas, but all over the nation. I know the Congressional Black Caucus does stuff like this. They even send black students to other countries to represent them. All of these programs are super cool. And for anyone out there who's trying to like learn new stuff or just hang around with people who do the same kind of work that you do, I would encourage people to apply to these programs. Wonderful. That's yeah. awesome. That's and awesome. I may do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I know I just for me, just to tie again a little bit, is I have a special place in my heart for Battleground Texas as well because that's where I got my political start. Right. I volunteered on the Wendy Davis campaign. I became a leader, mm -hmm. and um, that's where I met Mishy. Yeah. So and that's uh -oh. where I, <laughs> that is where that's we where met. I found my wife. <laughs> <laughs> the we love got, of my life. We got cuffed through, through <laughs> battleground, and all of the. And you know what is so interesting is that all of the people we organized with with battleground, they're all doing something amazing. They're like leading campaigns. There are people who work at Google now that were able to transition. Battleground launched the careers of several people, so that was really that awesome. is amazing. I get That's more awesome. excited cool. looking at the immigrant. I'm 46 years old. I have gone to high school with a couple of people that became famous, but I get more excited looking at BGTX alum mm -hmm. and seeing that. Oh my gosh, I know who that is. I know who that is. You know, we mentioned in an earlier podcast that um, Haley Hager, who was one of the organizers with Battleground Texas, is now like I. She's field. Something she's high she's in the Kamala Harris. She's right? she's no, with Corey. Corey. She's, uh, Corey. she's the field director. Field director. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Overall. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Which is super cool. She was my field organizer. Yeah. She's the she's one who brought me. Yeah. And I never knew that Flip was part of the the that battleground mm -hmm. were tied together because right. I'd heard of battleground, mm -hmm. but I'd never heard of Flip yeah. before. Yeah. So, and for any of you other people out there who had no idea, um, <laughs> like me, <laughs> I'm not gonna be shy. No. no <laughs> I learned no. something new every day from these ladies. Oh, absolutely. So. um Thank you. Like yes. I never even knew that the two were tied together, and that that's. And I knew that y'all had met on the. I thought y'all met on the Wendy Davis campaign, not. Like no, I, we actually met when I walked in to go volunteer, and she thought that I was a, a tracker <laughs> because she was like, "If the Republicans were going to send someone, they'd send a black lady," <laughs> and they were very unwelcoming to me. I all the white people, like, oh, you don't want a black woman. All here. the white oh people in the room stood in the corner and just kind of looked at me. Oh my. It was horrible. I know. Look, I there was a lot of people out to get Wendy, so I was very protective. I was. It was not personal. It was business. <laughs> and around that time, it was during a time where like. 
Project Veritas was just running around uh, and yeah. mock. Yeah. So I, I, I also had a, f- a distrust of anyone I didn't know who showed up. Exactly. But I don't they think still, they, 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 they don't, don't let them fool you. They still fight like they probably did that. Oh my thing. God. We, we fight all the time. So bad. All the time. Like, all the time. All the time. I drove both of them nine hours to New Orleans. They we fought the whole time. <laughs> except for yeah. when you were taking a nap. Yeah. Yes, oh. except for when I was taking a nap and snoring in the bed. They, they fought before we started broad- recording. We today. did. We fought over yeah. the headphones, which I still think they're she mine. She still thinks I stole her headphones. I didn't. I don't need her to have Whatever. <laughs> they're mine. All right, so cheers to Battleground, Texas. Yes. And, and to Flip and the Good future. Good job, Michelle. Congratulations. Thank you, guys. Can't wait for your graduation. Yay. And with that, we will go on a break, and we will be right back. Is that why it's uh, for happy holidays? Rudolph the red-nosed reindeer had a very shiny nose. We don't have the licensing. <laughs> Do you need licensings for Rudolph? No. Maybe. I don't know. No. Well, apparently someone owns the rights to it, I heard, but... Yeah, whatever. It's now, bitch. So, who wants some chicken? I did have Popeyes today. So, I yeah. thought they were going to be spicy tenders, but they weren't, which was... It was possum pussy? It, was, it could have been. And I, you know, I just I stole that from Missy. She just said that five I, minutes ago, I, I, but I thought it was I don't hysterical. like to eat chicken that's not on the bone, because it could be anything, possum pussy included. Right. Because <laughs> possum don't have big legs like that. <laughs> Well, somebody wanted some chicken today. Mm-hmm. Uh, Representative Cohen <laughs> bought some KFC today and brought it to the house. And a rooster statue. Yes. yes. And put it on, on Barr's nameplate. Yeah, because Barr is a fucking chicken. Yep. Um, I don't know who's more of a chicken right now, today, Barr or the Democrats. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. I, I don't know, but Congressman Cohen gets... Troll master legend of all time. You know how much dedication it takes to go get a bucket of chicken before you go onto the floor and fucking do your setup and put your little ceramic chicken on there, pull out a big old thigh and eat it. That's dedication. That is dedication. We should add him to the petty chat. Petty Petty walk. Congressman Cohen, do you want to be be added to our chat? Yeah. Petty Bay of the day. <laughs> I appreciate Ooh, that's it. Good. I appreciate oh, it. We'll have 57 segments. That would be... <laughs> I know. I know. Sometimes but... they're just special segments. They are. Yeah. I appreciate the amount of dedication he went to to, to get that troll mm-hmm. off. It was beautiful. Beautifully executed. My takeaways are I'm not surprised. Right? I mean, that Barr didn't show up. Oh, yeah. I mean, right? Um, his testimony was trash. Yeah. He lied and lied and then doubled so, down and tripled down on his let's lies. Level set for somebody that didn't see everything. <gasps> there are some of us that are not glued to CNN. Some of our listeners have lives. Yeah. And that's and what we're so, here for. <laughs> they don't get to, they don't get to watch CNN right. for 47 hours. Right. What do you people even do then? <laughs> so, Barr testified in front of Senate first. Yes. And then he refused to testify before the House. Yeah. Right. So. He didn't want to have to answer to AOC. Well, and he, he didn't mm-hmm. want the fire. 
He didn't. Right. He, didn't he didn't want the fire. He's scared. And his testimony didn't go well. Oh God, no! It was terrible. Oh. It was. And it was pretty clear that there's there's no lines there between him understanding that he works for the people of the United States, that he's not general counsel to the president. Um, and in one point in time, he was asked about if the White House had given up executive privilege, and he goes, "No, we, we haven't given up. Who is we? When did you start speaking right. French? It's not we. Okay, <laughs> got a mouse in your pocket." <laughs> You don't work for the White House, sir. Mm-hmm. You work for the people of the United States. And just like his defiance throughout the, the whole thing was just, oh, uh, it drove me crazy because I remember there was a time he was asked if he would ten, turn over his notes on the phone call that he had. And he said no. And then he was asked, why not? And he goes, why would I? Like, what do you think this is? This isn't a dictatorship. Like, we have rules. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the thing about it that, as Attorney General, you should understand, I hope you know, that we can get those fucking notes if we want to because that's the law. We can subpoena you and you have to turn them in. Or to, even the journalists can go out there and go after them and file suit to get those notes. They don't belong to you because you work for us. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. You're but, our lawyer. It's our but, privilege. So, <laughs> and I, I love all that. Here is my question. What the fuck are the Democrats going to do? We have the power in the House right now. I don't know if we're going to have it in 2020. Who the fuck knows, right? Right. Subpoena the motherfucker tomorrow. What the, what the fuck well, are they waiting for? We have Blumenthal that wants to talk through it and be deliberate, yada, yada, yada. Dedication, deliberate, Dedication. Whatever, whatever three Ds he used. Use your, use your big D, yeah. Blumenthal, and fucking subpoena the dude. <laughs> Whip your big D out. Thank you. And subpoena that motherfucker. Use your big D. Um, I mean, so Chris Hayes. Chris Hayes point, called him out. Point blank asked or told Blumenthal tonight. He said, you know, it just appears to me that y'all are a little scared. Yeah. And then he, you know, he's trying to backtrack. Like, you know, I don't mean to, <laughs> but it just seems like y'all, what, what are you He had the for? look on his face like, this is MSNBC. Why are you making me uncomfortable? This <laughs> 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 is Space. I was told there was space. And it's, because Chris Case is a citizen as well, yeah. and he's fucking fed up. Sorry, yeah. Michelle. No, you're that. fine. With with Nancy's um, press conference today, you know, she came out and she said, you know, lying to Congress is a crime. He lied to Congress. Yes. But then, you know, when asked what then we're going to do about it, it was a lot of like, this is a procedure, Crickets. it's procedural. And at this point, mm-hmm. you know, it's, we're going to have to make a decision what we're going to do instead of doing the back and forth, throw the gauntlet down. Right. Do what you have to do. And I know that that's the only thing that's stopping the whole impeachment talk and all this because we don't have the votes in the Senate for it. So we're at a crossroads where whether we're going to decide if we're just going to do this and waste a bunch of time or what's the avenue that we're going to take. I, I They have to subpoena him. Because here's my thing. If, if we don't, then you have not given the American people the uh, excuse me, hello beer. <laughs> hello Corona. Wow. So I know, I know. Spitting last week, burping this week. I'm sorry. She a nasty bitch. Miss <laughs> mm. Costa. Do we want to nasty. cut that and start over? <laughs> I don't know, we'll see. Okay. Leave it in. Yeah. But I, I, yeah, I, I just if 
This is, I almost feel like when I was listening to the Blumenthal tonight, and I appreciate Nancy. I mean, Nancy's badass, all that kind of stuff. But I I feel like they're just as bad as the Republicans when they, when they do this shit. It's all talk, mm-hmm. all bark, no bite. You know, they love fucking foreplay. They must be amazing in the sack because they fucking <laughs> love foreplay. Right? Yeah. Just fuck me. <laughs> right? Sometimes you got sometimes That's you want a quickie. What she said. Sometimes you just want a quickie. Right? You don't I don't got time for all that shit right now. Well That's I, what I'm saying. Like what are they waiting for? I imagine that they're probably gonna wait until Mueller comes and gives his testimony. Um, because some of the things that came out today was that, you know, Mueller wrote a letter basically to Barr, which yeah. is the interesting thing is, I don't know if you guys know, these two are friends. Yeah. Were war friends. Mm-hmm. Apparently they go to each other's daughter's weddings and these are people who really hang out in real life. Right. And we're watching their and friendship Barr fall apart. The letter's a bit snippy. Oh. <laughs> was it snippy? snippy? It wasn't that. It was, it was, it was a different word that he used. No, it was, no, snippy. It was snippy. Was it snippy? Snitty. 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 Oh, oh man, I got that get wrong. Get the fuck out of here. That is a bit snitty. And you're lucky that I sent you a fucking letter. Yeah. Okay? I wrote a letter, like I was writing a letter to a manager trying to be cordial about it. He could have gone to the press and, and right. had a and live television it. interview. And so in this letter, he's basically accusing him of miscategorizing as the summary Everything. Of, of, of the report mm-hmm. in an attempt to buffer the president. This is not why you are here. I don't understand. Like, corruption that's this, like, public and clear and evident, it makes my ass itch. Like, are y'all <laughs> watching the same thing that I'm watching? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. where, is, where is the urgency? And so I do understand that maybe they're probably going to wait until Mueller comes and then they'll subpoena him with the information that they get from him and then maybe go from there. So they don't already have the information from Mueller? Well, they're, what, what no, they're still fighting over the unredacted report. And they, then he they hasn't even have the yet. full report. It's, yeah. So that so they're hoping that when they ask Mueller questions, they'll get information from basically they're going to get a, the the unredacted report by interviewing Mueller. Right. Right. Yeah. Because okay. it's like uh, it's like they, you know yesterday. But there's no date yet for Mueller. Somebody. This May. It's like somebody said there could be one sentence. In that yes. report that's mm-hmm. been redacted, yeah. that could flip yeah. all of this on its right. head. Right. And if that one sentence has to come out of Mueller's mouth instead of us getting the full report, then, you know, maybe I okay, I will concede. Maybe it's better that we do take our time on this until mm. we talk to Mueller. So let's say that Barr gets subpoenaed. He comes back. They ask him the questions that they've been asking him, or they want to ask him the questions that they planned on asking him, and he answers truthfully or not truthfully okay so we find out that he lied we're not going to find out that he lied until we talk to Mueller. but why is that i don't understand that part. because there's no one we have to have somebody come back and say no he's lying about yeah, we need this. the source of truth we gotta have the source so if he, all we have is what he's saying we don't know if he lied we yeah. assume but you need something to either corroborate 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 yeah which would back him up or to dispute what he's saying yeah. Okay. So it doesn't, it's not going to do, I mean, like, we can subpoena him, we can question him, but we're not going to know for sure, for certain, whether or not he's lying, which we all know he is. So they're going to ask him a question, let him lie. No, we caught him in a lie. And because then, Mueller told us. And then we're going to, then we have, Mueller's going to testify sometime this month. 
But he's not, you know, we don't so, know when he's going to testify. Right. He's confirmed to testify. He's confirmed so to testify, I guess, but we don't know when. Yeah, I guess my, my, my only issue with that is then you could still question Barr, and then when you question Mueller, you'll find out that Barr lied. Well, I think from a strategic from a ugh, from strategeries standpoint, <laughs> what's you, up, W? You want to tap into all of the knowledge that you have from the person who has it, so you can arm yourself with it to go question someone. That way, if they're lying, you have yeah. something to hit back. You on. come up with that's how I questions. would do it, right? Right. Because you already it's like being a lawyer. You don't ask questions you don't already have an answer to. Exactly. So I picture that's maybe what that's what I would do. Personally. Yeah. So like they have good questions right now, but they don't have. The questions, the right. gotcha questions, the the here right. the, because they're going to ask Barr about the report. Well, first, I so guess I'm wondering what is Barr going to lie about that Mueller would be able to cooperate. Well, Barr is not being honest about whether or not Mueller found evidence of obstruction of justice. Right, right. and he so, also writes this letter two days after okay. it comes out and starts talking about there's no obstruction. Yeah, and Mueller writes him a letter and says you're miscategorizing. What is said in this report. So we want to hear from Mueller his interpretation of that so that we can be armed with information to then go after and be like, well, instead of just having it on paper, now we have to have Mueller saying it. Right. To back up, you know, the person who ran the investigation is going to be the best best tool that we have in our arsenal to go in and question this fucker. Imagine if I were one, if I were like AOC or whoever, and I'm going to have Mueller sitting in front of me. I could say, is there any part in that report that was redacted that does not need to be redacted because it has nothing to do with national security? Maybe Mueller can answer that. Right. Maybe that's a way of getting around the the bullshit redactions that Barr put in that report. Mm-hmm. And then you can okay. turn around and put okay. Barr on this. I can, I can get on board with that. And and I, I, I had not thought about that yet. I personally want to hear Mueller explain <clears throat> if he felt so strongly enough to write a letter and say, you're miscategorizing this or mis characterizing it for better word i want to hear him characterize why he came out in the report and said you know what if we felt like he was innocent we would have told you yeah and i want to know why he left that open we want to hear it tell us why tell us why you're defending the fact that this report is being mischaracterized what is what is the character of the report tell us your interpretation of it mm-hmm. so that because the only interpretation that we have is through bar telling us that no obstruction, no whatever, because he's seen the entire thing. Well, um, and then, but to that point, like Kamala Harris talked to him. She said, you made the decision not to charge, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, Barr is like, whoa, 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 whoa. And then she, says, she came back and said, I think you've made it clear that you did not look at the evidence. We can move on. She got him to admit, Well, she asked him. She said, she did you read it? Over and over again. And he said, I didn't. I didn't have to because I read the summaries. And he kept saying that he read these these statements and these findings yes. and things. And Which leads like, me to believe he didn't remove any kind of, he didn't remove, he didn't do any deduct, what's it called? Redactions. Redactions. Fuck. Um, <laughs> Hello, wine. I know, beer, whatever. <laughs> Actually, whiskey. Too. Oh. <laughs> Hello, all the alcohol. Because at this point, <laughs> it, delegates it their seems to me more like, I need a lot of alcohol. Barr is more interested in trying to go after Mueller and some sick and twisted thing that he's conjured up like you cannot investigate the investigator like that's not that's so stupid yeah yeah but that's my thing is that bar he basically he admitted to kamala that he didn't read it so who did the redactions he didn't not him yeah so no wonder who did it he said he didn't read the evidence but isn't the evidence in the report 
I should be on. Fair point. I, I should be on fucking Garner's right now. Asking <laughs> fucking questions. Asking the big questions. Yeah. They were live with the show. Of course. <laughs> yeah. Well, the What's up, bulldog? You want some chicken? <laughs> that is too but funny. That's what I'm saying. Like, if if he didn't read it, then who the fuck did the redactions? If he just read the, if he didn't read the evidence, then who did? And isn't the evidence in the report? I, he he totally was. He first of all, he was gerrymandering his answers, right? Because they have five minute limit time. Is that gerrymandering? That's not gerrymandering. Not gerrymandering. Oh, gerrymandering. <laughs> wow, I'm really, uh, and I'm not drunk. I am not that drunk yet. She's just throwing out words, Talk y'all. Filibuster, filibuster. <laughs> it's filibuster. I got, I got, I got, I got, I got, I got. Okay, okay. Last okay, week okay. it was okay. math. <laughs> this time it's grammar. And the turnip tree. This time it's spelling. I swear I went to college. <laughs> she didn't go to college in Oklahoma, though. True, true. Well, here's the oh my god, I almost choked on People my wife. People in Oklahoma, these are not the opinions or the feelings of the drunk bitches no. in politics here's, podcast. Here's the here's thing. The, everybody in Texas hates everybody in Oklahoma. Yes. Y'all know it. It's a thing. It just happens. Yeah. Um, Sorry, it's the, Jenna. It's the, I love you. No, it's the Texas-Oklahoma rival. But here's, here's the saddest thing is both my parents are educators. <laughs> and my sister has a master's degree in English. So... <laughs> Sorry, sis. Everybody needs one in the family. Oh, my God. Hey, you know what? I'm the fun one. That's right. We need one of those. You can have a beer with her. (laughs) Oh, shit. She's fun. Yeah. Okay. Me me and Debbie would have hooked up. Oh, God. The thing about it is, and I do... I'm just going to pod by myself here. Um... She's trying to hook up with your W, and I can't believe you didn't say anything about she that. She's trying to steal your man. trying to hook up with your W. She tried to steal my Oh, no, he knows where, he knows where it is. I almost had beer coming out of my nose. You you ain't got to worry about your man getting stolen when he know where he belongs, honey. So. Oh, my God, y'all quit hitting the table. Sorry. Um, Some titties. Titties. <laughs> Knock on the table. They're not much. But I wanted to. You're gonna cut all this out? No. No. Good shit, Missy. Leave it in. I wanted to say that the Democrats are in danger of. I wanted to say that the Democrats are in danger of making it look like this whole bar thing is just like propaganda, right? Like you just were trying to use it to get your way in 2020 and you're not really if this is about justice and checks and balances i need you to do something show me drop the gauntlet whip it out that give me in the face I mean. with it give that's me the big d give me the big d <laughs> that's what I'm, that's what i'm talking about Michelle. right because other than that you're it's only just trying to save their jobs that but not only that you're equipping the other side with basically them being able to come back to us and say this is this isn't really anything other than propaganda. They're trying to get their people elected. They're not doing anything. If you're gonna impeach, just impeach. If you're gonna subpoena, subpoena, just subpoena. And yeah. at some point in time, you're gonna have to stop talking about it and be about it. Channel Shia LaBeouf, just do it. <laughs> of course, Shia. Be like Nike. Just do it. <laughs> just do it. All right. So, Mishy, you were going to update us on some polling data real quick? Yes, I was. Real quick, I'm going to give you guys some poll numbers that just came out. Um, as of last week, after Biden announced their top five people who are predicted to 
beat Trump by a certain margin. And the person who has the biggest margin of that um, is Joe Biden. <laughs> surprise, uh, surprise. And also one of the things that I thought was super interesting was that Joe is doing really well with black voters. <laughs> and that's probably the Obama, Obama effect. Factor. Absolutely. Um, so that's helping him out. And the person who comes in second is Bernie Sanders. Um, he's definitely slated to come in, but like, Oh, no, you're, you're I'm, cheering? I'm, no, I'm you're laughing like, because we had this exact discussion six months ago. Right. The you only person, person to beat Trump is, is another, another old man. white dude. But here's something to throw a wrench in that theory. Okay. Kamala comes in third as the third person she's most likely to be. She's not old. Beat. She's not white. She's not a dude. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then there's uh, Beto and Pete, which is really interesting, Ooh. but the smallest... And the person who, out of these people, like they kind of took the top people, who would not win as of now at the polls is Elizabeth Warren, which Just really broke my heart. Yeah. Um, it's it was, and I I really wanted to hear you guys' take on that because she's so it good. Sucks. But it's, you know why? You know what, you know what pisses you know, me off is that you got all these people that are whining and crying about um, Biden not having policy out, uh, Buttigieg not having policy out, Beto not having policy out. Elizabeth has all the policies out, right? She's over here like. But they're talking like, about she's not elected. Money, boom, 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 policies. And you guys should also like expect Elizabeth Warren and Biden to throw it down. They have a few that spends oh, years. I watched. <laughs> they do. I watched it this morning. They replaying it mm-hmm. on the news this morning. It back in two thousand and five mm-hmm. when Joe Biden was a senator and she was a professor and she was a professor at Harvard mm-hmm. and she was giving him the business about credit cards mm-hmm. and bankruptcy and that whole thing about and she was letting him have because it. So, they were trying to pass a bill mm-hmm. to make it harder to de- to declare bankruptcy. bankruptcy yeah and he let me just mm, uncle joe he was on the wrong side of it he he ended yeah. it with a, a small smirk that he goes uh, you you're, a, you're a good professor mm-hmm. Fuck that so demeaning so, and you could see the rage in her face Listen, y'all need to quit picking Biden in these goddamn polls because this is getting ridiculous. <laughs> you know what? I will say this thing. There's something that happens with polling and... I don't believe polls. They said Hillary's going to win the whole fucking yeah. time. Right. But there is a lot in how you ask the question. Right. Yeah. And, and who you're polling at what time of the day you're polling. Exactly. How you're polling. Emails, whatever. Are, exactly. Are you doing it on social media? Are you calling people? Because are you calling cell phones or landlines? Exactly. And also, even, right. if that, even if you're calling cell phones, there are certain people that don't answer their phone. Yeah. And then there's other people that do. And, <clears throat> oh, and then let me finish real quick. Yes. Um, and then also, there are polls where they say, how do you feel about this person? And then they'll give a name. How do you feel about this person? They give a name. And then others where they just say, if you were to have to elect someone today, who would you elect? And they don't give a name. And in those cases, Biden does win because he has the most name Recognizable name he because he was... He was VP at with, with Obama. And he has been in, the, in, in politics for a long time. Uh, so that's basically all the polling data that we have, and it's pretty interesting to Jen's point. It depends on who you're polling. My understanding is that this poll was done in, in the states where the big states, New Hampshire, you know, all of that. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Jen. Yeah. I hear you got a rant for us this week. I do. Um, <laughs> I wasn't planning on it because I didn't want to put time into, you know, doing one. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody has to really get your attention for you to do a rant. Yeah. So what's um, your rant? Somebody got to piss you off to get so, a rant. So, <laughs> Chase Bank, this one's for you. Um, on April 29th, J.P. Morgan Chase's social media team decided they hated their job and their life and tweeted out one of the worst tweets a bank could in 2019. Uh, which was judgmental advice on how to save money by not going out to get coffee, food, or take a cab. What's worse, they did it in the form of a conversation, which is so 2017. And wouldn't you know it, Elizabeth Savage Warren punched back with her own version of the same conversation, except this time with taxpayers, economists, and workers dogpiling the various reasons on Chase as to why consumers aren't saving money these days. Chase eventually deleted the tweet and posted later, quote, our hashtag Monday motivation is to get better at Monday motivation tweets. Thanks for the feedback, Twitter world. They did this because they got dragged across Twitter for the <laughs> dumbest fucking tweet anyone could do <laughs> on the tweets. While Senator Warren quipped back with excellent points, let's go down another list of why Chase, Wells Fargo Bank, Bank of America, and other large banks are part of a problem of their own making. Let's start with NSF fees. The lowest I've seen so far is $24. If you overdraft your account $1 or more, they charge you $24. That's an interest rate of 2,400% for one buck. Some like banks, a payday loan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Some banks are as high as $32. Why am I telling you this? Because while these assholes are hitting you with fee after fee after fee, making upwards of 4,000% on everyday working Americans that can't afford this, they're turning around and offering customers a whopping 0.01% interest on a savings account. How motivational Monday of them. NSFEs are a gold mine for banks, but they've become a catalyst for class action lawsuits because of how they, pro how they were processing them. When I was a single working mother, barely getting to the next paycheck, bills would hit before my check did, or my deposit would sit on hold for three days while payments were being processed. So of course, Bank of America would reorder those transactions regardless of the dates, clear the largest one first, and hit me with $32 for every transaction after that, even for something as low as $5. By the time they were done with me, I had no money left. Did I fight? Sure, but they made it hard. It was exhausting. I kept trying to hold out on food, let bills be late to avoid the situation, but as the weeks and months went by, it became harder and harder. Late fees would add up on my bills. Interest on credit cards would accrue. For someone like me, NSF fees were an endless nightmare. There were weeks I had no choice but to use the card, knowing they'd clear it and charge the fee because we needed food or I needed gas. Years later, after I finally got out from underneath this nightmare, I received a check in the mail. It was maybe 200 something dollars. It was part of a settlement from a class action lawsuit against Bank of America. I got a few more checks after that, not as much, but I can assure you it wasn't nearly enough to pay back what they took from me. This may sound extreme, but in my opinion, banks are organized crime. They're sucking the life out of this country. We just want a safe place to keep our money, but these days it's the fox guarding the, get the hen house. And they have the nerve to lecture us on spending habits. If you have $10 left in your bank account, they'll still charge you the $12 monthly fee. They won't wait, and if you ask for it back until payday, they won't do it. So now maybe some of you listening to this have had nothing but wonderful experiences with their bank, and I, <laughs> <laughs> and I can assure you, you are an exception. You are not the rule. You have something to offer the bank. Even in the last five years, my own experience with my bank has improved because financially we are in a good place. I am married to somebody who has been with the same company for 10 years, and you know we got our shit straight. So we have something else to offer the banks. We have more business to offer them. Kindness and compassion could have a financial return on investment for banks. 
They could ditch the NSF system or at least revamp it drastically, increase the interest earned on savings accounts, lower interest rates on credit cards, and they'll find that more consumers can begin saving. I understand banking is a business. We absolutely should allow for profit in the business of loans and even credit cards, but simple checking accounts should not be up for grabs. So Chase, Wells Fargo, and especially you, Bank of America, let us have our coffee, our cab rides. You need to look within yourselves to offer better solutions for your consumers. You can afford it. Very good. Very good. I, I can Freak, see girl. I can Freak. see the three the other three of us like looking at each other like then they're done that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I lived off overdraft fees for years. Yeah. I mean it's it is it, it a sad case. So predatory. And oh and you can't get out predatory. from under them. Um I mean, you know, and it's not like I was I was actually making halfway decent money, but the problem is I wouldn't I wasn't before that. And it's the um, it's the the age old problem of having um, student debt when you graduate from college immediately, yes. all that kind of stuff. Which I moved back in with my parents twice after graduating from college. Mm-hmm. All right, I tr- fucking tried, mm-hmm. but once you get down, they just hit hit you harder. Oh yeah, right. Yes. Because it's not like I could just go to a Bank of America and be like, you know what, I need a ten thousand dollar loan. Mm-hmm. I can pay you back a personal loan, mm-hmm. right? Because back in the day. You could, and not everybody could do this even back in the day, but you could go to your um, first national bank of Rosebud, Texas, mm-hmm, yeah. right? And you could walk in and with a handshake and a look in the eye, right? You could get a loan, you could pay off some debt, and you'd pay them, you know, 40 bucks a month. Definitely not for everybody. No, yeah. it wasn't for everybody. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. <laughs> not for everybody. No, it was. I, told, I agree with you, Michigan. It wasn't no. for everybody. Mm-hmm. But that um, is a benefit to when we didn't have these giant banking When we did, right. When, ne- when everybody had not, when Bank of America, Wells, and Chase owned every, now they own right. everybody. Yeah. Right? So now you have nowhere else to go. It doesn't matter which bank you go to. It's owned by somebody. Oh, right. right. yeah. They're monopolizing the entire thing. Exactly. And well, you know, on top of this, let's, you know, let's talk about not just the banks being all judgy. Our generation, we're, the, well, three of us, three out of four of us are Generation X. This one's a millennial. <laughs> this one being me. But, um, and it's, um, but I think our parents may be the, actually the same generation. Um, my mom was a banker. I'll say her dad's oh, our no, generation. my dad's y'all's age. It's ridiculous. I yeah. know. My don't look like dad's that. Oh my God, we're not even going to go there. Um. <laughs> Did you say your dad is my age? He is. Well, yeah, my daughter's. Yeah. What, two years younger than you? Jesus Christ. <laughs> I know. She's um, an old soul, very wise. I'm very old soul. <laughs> okay, so oh anyway, God. my mom's a banker. Um, but so she, it was really hard to get her to understand my dilemma and where I was coming from because she's looking at this as a banker. She's taking their side and as a judgy mom who, you know, why aren't you doing this as well as I did when I was a single mom? Well, I didn't have, I clearly, <laughs> I didn't have the same parents. Right. Your parents were watching your kids and taking care of things. You're mm-hmm. just sitting here judging me and telling me I'm on my own. Yeah. And you know, we all like we all have our the generation, our parents' generation weren't understanding what the banks were doing to us. Because in their mind, well you overdrafted your account, that's your problem. Mm, no, yeah. that's not that's not it at all. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, Well, and what Bank of America was doing too is that let's say that your um, you had your rent due, and then you had five other charges. That's what she was saying. Yeah, earlier. yeah, yeah. yeah. Is it? And I was just—I was getting detailed yeah. into it. So your rent's a thousand dollars. They would let that go through first, mm-hmm. 
-hmm. And then the five other charges go through <clears throat> after that, and mm -hmm. they found out. And, and then they, they were found you with the and then yeah. it but was they found were... illegal. Like J Jason and I both got like forty dollars checks in the mail after yeah. four years of litigation. I was like, oh, thanks. but they would sell it like they were doing you a favor. Yes. Right. because they were yeah. like, well, we figured you want we your paid rent it. to clear. No, yeah. you can it's do like math, a... Bank of America. Right. <laughs> I may not be able to do math, but you're a fucking bank. You can do math. <laughs> I had enough in there for you to pay those five charges and then charge me one overdraft fee to pay my rent. Yeah. Right. You fucker. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, exactly. super predatory. <laughs> I can rant about that shit all day yes. long. Yeah, Thank you, Jen. and I want to make one last point because the difference between the generations before us, you know, who I know this is even even just maybe a ten year difference, uh, paychecks and paying your bills didn't process as quickly or in the same way right. when my mom was raising us compared to when I was raising AJ. Right. Everything was direct deposit. Everything was electronic. Hmm. Well, I can tell you, electronic payments fucking hit your account a whole lot faster than electronic deposits. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we aren't alone in floating things. Right. People have been floating for forever. Yeah. So Amazon, are, I guarantee you, floats payments. Right. So I guarantee you they have, net, net, they have net 90 on some shit, and they pay net, net 120. Right. It, it, yeah. So yeah. there were people Bullshit. 20 years older than us that... That are judge that judged us for floating things and then getting hit with an insufficient fund fee when they floated things too. Yeah. They just knew that they could write a check on Monday. It wouldn't actually hit the bank till Friday. Right. They had those two days. Right. We don't get those two days anymore. Right. And yeah. it's like banks just have to operate with some some form of integrity. I understand that you're a business, but you already have my business. Mm -hmm. You don't have to make up an entire revenue stream for my struggles. Like, it's not... Right. Stop profiting mm -hmm. off of right. me having a hard time. It's greed. Yeah, it's greed. It's, greed. it's, it's pure greed. greed. It's moral. It's... Yeah. 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 It's, so, it's the... Yeah, it's the disintegration <laughs> of humanity. Anyway. So that's my rant. So, <laughs> so from our rant, who is the asshole of the week, Michelle? Oh, <laughs> we gonna get, We're going to give y'all some more shit. You an asshole. You an asshole. You an asshole. You an asshole. It is the song that we got that we never asked. Never. Um, you go get it every time. <laughs> so today, um, y'all gonna y'all should just take a drink because I need I need to let's just sip on this. Okay, for a second. Okay. I can't drink the Christmas tree anymore. I'm done. <laughs> well, you need some because do you want do you want this? No. Um. Before I award this young man asshole of, of the day, I want to take this opportunity to make it a teaching moment. And I want to bring all the white parents who are raising young white babies to the front and center so we can have a discussion. <laughs> white people, charity begins at home, okay? The things that you do, your children will emulate. Um, if you're not raising your children by a certain standard, be sure that whatever standard you're raising them by, they're going to go out there and they're going to show their whole ass and show yours, show yours too. Um, this week, we had a young man from Ohio whose name is wasn't mentioned in this article, which I understand he is on the cusp of being underage. Um, it's prom season. We all have a good promposal. Um, you love someone to come and, you know, take you out. And it's all the flair of being young and all the wonderful, innocent shit. Well, what what should we call him? Todd? Something? What should, can we <laughs> Chad. Be? Chad. Chad. <laughs> so Chad, from whatever home he came from, apparently this was probably acceptable. Maybe mom was busy. She didn't see it. Maybe she helped him stick the letters onto the white piece of paper. I don't know. 
Oh God, I'm scared. But Chad <laughs> decided that he was going to do something very romantic and ask a girl out to prom. And on this sign, it's probably the best wife foolery I've seen in a while, as far as promposal goes. You know, whatever happened to writing a nice little note, yes, no, maybe, you know, standard shit. No, 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 no. There's levels to this. Chad here wanted to go all out. So Chad went on, stood in the middle of the street outside of the school with this poster, and this poster said, if I was black, I'd be picking cotton. But I'm white, so I'm picking you. Oh my God. Oh, yeah, you heard that. <laughs> Can we guess the state? It's Ohio. Sure, you told us Ohio. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's Ohio. I, I did miss that. But I, if you I were apologize. thinking Florida, Florida has their own case. No, apologize I was thinking Alabama, Alabama or Mississippi. Apologize for Florida, Jen. Yeah, <laughs> I refuse. Shit. That still doesn't So young me, Chad here. Oh my um, God. Was able to go out of here and to display whatever home bringing that he's had and some, uh, whatever it is that you're teaching your children, white people at home, they're going to go out there. These are people who are going to grow up, going to businesses, hire other people, work with other people. And this is fucking 2019. These are babies. If you're in graduating high school now, you're probably born what? Somebody math me. If you're graduating now? Yeah. 2000. So that means you were born on the cusp of the millennia. Why are you still going out and holding signs that are, if your creativity level is this stupid, then just right. give up. Just give up. You send an email, a text, something. Chad doesn't even remember dial-up. Exactly. So Chad is a product of his environment. Yeah. Because where did he hear that from? Exactly. Right. So white people, you know, we're, we're working really hard to build an equitable society. And, you know, people used to say it'll die out as the no. old people die. No. It's not dying. They because you keep breeding it. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. You I know, used, I used to think that once upon a time, all the old people are going to die and everything is going to be fine. No, the old people have kids and they make them And they're passing too. it on. Well, you know, I mean, you know, we had, I had we old had people in my family, but I was different and I thought all of us were like that. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> apparently not. Come on, damn it. It is 2019 and you 10. have to want something more for little Chad than to go out there and show his whole racist ass and yours. Do better. Your children are a product of what you are. And if you want a more equitable and better society, this isn't what you teach your children. This shit is so played out, it's not cool anymore. It's not even cool. Nobody, you're just stupid. Don't so yeah. find a better, it, here's my thing is that, it, you know, he thinks it's funny. But shit's not it's, funny. It, that's probably the humor he was taught. Because he's an idiot. Like, well, it, you know why he thinks it's funny? funny? Because he, it hasn't been explained to him and it hasn't been explained to his parents. That picking cotton, aside from the fact that it was what slaves had to do until their feet were bleeding and their backs were broken, carrying yeah. hundreds hands. of pounds of cotton, their hands from picking. Have you ever yeah. been in a cotton field and picked cotton? Because that shit's sharp. Yeah. <laughs> that shit is yeah. not comfortable. Yeah. You might as well stick your hand in a blender. Right. Because it's not comfortable. It's not like you're in a cloud of puffballs all day no. long. Right. Um, did, and there's no appreciation there for the the labor. I mean, I like I feel like there's not a good word for this, but the torture and the labor of no. picking cotton. No, there's and not. it's ugh. 
Well, and you know that also goes to the education that he received while he was in school, because he even was if probably you told that he was indentured, right? Because even just about because say. even oh. if you have even if you grow up in a racist home, because I do have I live in I'm born and raised in Texas, and I do have several friends that that grew up in houses like the house that Chad grew up in, <laughs> Chad. Um, but did not turn out like their parents. Mm-hmm. But it's because they decided to educate themselves. themselves. But when you have textbooks like we have, do have in Texas, mm-hmm. I don't know if y'all heard about this a couple of years ago. Oh, yeah, yeah, They yeah. talk about, it, they don't even, they weren't even teaching slavery. They were teaching them. Indentured th- servants. Yes, that they were coming over here to work. They were, they were workers. Indentured so, servants. Right. And so if you, um, and sometimes not even that, though, right? Yeah, I did they hear at one even point they were workers. Workers, yeah. right? They were, they were trying to play it like they were immigrants. Rewriting right. history to make it yes. more palatable. So if, and... so if you, um, oh, God, I just, I feel like teenagers are so rebellious, mm-hmm. right? They want to do everything the opposite of their parents. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, there's a hold there in these super racist oh, yeah. families. Oh, yeah. Where, because you would think that would be the kid that would completely rebel right. against their parents' ways and ways of thinking. But if you've been taught that you're superior to people of color your whole life, and you don't want to rebel against you don't that, have fr- and you don't have friends that are because right. right. you know Chad okay. does not have black friends. And no, I don't want, I don't want anybody coming up here and talking about not all white folk. No, no, don't bring that shit. Yeah, no, 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 we don't want to hear it. No, fuck off. The ones who are not involved in this shit know they're not involved. Exactly. And they're not the ones that are going to come and say You don't need to tell us you're not people. racist. Yeah. <laughs> the point of it is, your children are a walking billboard of the values that you have instilled in them. Right. In 2019, right. you should not have a young boy walking around with such an atrocious problem. He, at best, you have a shitty little shit who's not even creative. <laughs> and you, you should just right. be ashamed of yourself. So, what you Chad, did. you know what? Congratulations for receiving the prestigious Asshole of the Week Award. It Yay. comes with nothing. And because you are nothing. And shame on you. Shame on your mom and dad, too. Go, Chad. <laughs> right? Yeah. Go. Go, Chad. Just go, go away, Chad. Go away. Just go away. Go. Fuck um, out of here. So, um, before we end on our lovely high note that we hey. always end on... We need a palate cleanser. Right? Um, yeah. Because I do want to end on... <coughs> we do always like to end on an inspirational, happy, uplifting um, note. Um, mm-hmm. I just want to give a quick shout out to John Singleton, age 51, pioneer in the film industry, who passed away this week at age of 51. If you don't know who John Singleton is, please look him up. Please watch... His movies. Boys in the Hood. Boys Love in the Hood. Jones. I mean, if you watch Boys in the Hood, and maybe you watch Boys in the Hood and you didn't realize that John Singleton was the mastermind behind that, but he was. He was Four the master- brothers. Four brothers. You no, know, I've actually never seen that. What? Boys in the Hood? Boys in the Hood. Oh, girl, we gotta watch that with you. You always do yourself to watch it. Oh, boy. Excellent. (gasps) He was the first um, black director to be nominated Nominated for an Oscar. Cool. He opened a lot of doors for a lot of people. (laughs) And at a time where... just a genius. A a lot of black people weren't able to go to the movies and see people who look like them. Here was a director who could tell a story in the most amazing cinematic experience that you could be part of. I remember growing up with movies like Love Jones and Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Tupac oh, and Janet Jackson. Janet. He, oh my god. He put all of those people in yes. the movies. Tyrese, Baby Boy, all of that. Those are all classics 
around the not only the black community, right? I remember being college age when higher learning Mm -hmm. came out, and that was just like, oh, that was anyway. I was in my head, I was thinking of my one of my favorite moments from Boys in the Hood was Mm -hmm. Lawrence Fishburne educating um, the sons of the neighborhood Mm -hmm. on. You know, why is there a liquor store on every street? I'm just saying, if you have not watched Boys in the Hood, you owe it to yourself to watch it. It showed South Central Los Angeles Mm -hmm. from a different point of view than what you would see as a white person. Um, It showed that it's a a real neighborhood. It really existed, Mm -hmm. and there was real shit going down there, but it didn't create itself. It was created upon. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? It was forced. There was shit was forced in. Um... And I, I just, you know, it was, it was a very sad, sad week. But in of his addition passing. to his his legacy, um, you had brought up a good point earlier when we were talking about how he died. Right. So he went into the hospital. He went to Mount Sinai, like one of the best hospitals in the United States, with leg pain. Cedars. Cedar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cedar Mount Sinai. Thank you. I always <laughs> want to say like Sinai, like the one you take <laughs> yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he went in with leg pain and was there for a week. He was there for a week. Um, so if you're 51, you go into hospital with leg pain. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I just, when I, when I, when I would hear leg pain, when I would see that somebody, you know, was telling me they had leg pain, I would immediately think stroke at that age and everything. But he was in the hospital for a week, then he had a stroke and then his family you know, had to decide to, they had to make that grueling decision to take him off life support, um, which I don't envy at all. Um, my family has gone through that. It is not a a good experience for anybody to go through, but I, you know, I mean, we talk about the, the mortality rate of women of color and Black black women having babies and, and, uh, you know, babies, the babies dying, the, the women dying. And, but we, Sometimes I'll talk about the men, right? Mm-hmm. And I just, I'm like, God, it's, I mean, do I just say it? Like, I just want black, to, they just want, they're just not caring for black people at hospitals? What they what, say what's going on? is that there's some sort of toughness or some sort of indestructibility that is attributed to black folk, right? Like, oh God, because of, yeah. Right. History. And it's like, you know, it's the difference with, I'm, I'm one of those black women who almost died having a child. I know. Um, and I didn't know you at the time, but I know. Right. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, white people's pain is understood or white women are regarded as fragile and important to take care of. And it's like black folk is just like, you can just, you can take the pain or whatever it is. And we're not necessarily saying that's what happened here, but it's highly it seems, likely. It seems very odd that he was checked into one of the top hospitals in the United States with leg, leg pain, pain at 51 and, then, and they didn't check him for a fucking stroke. And then, I'm sorry. You know, he actually had or a blood stroke clot. in the hospital. He had, or the, he had a blood clot. Obviously, he had a blood right. clot and then that, that led to a stroke. Yeah, and it's it, there's just a pattern of, you know, people of color. You know what I also can think? I look, can, I, can I interject? Can I say something? Yes. Because, yeah. um, uh, of course. This, let's, let's, let's change kind of the direction here and acknowledge that men are terrible at going into the doctor when they need to. My brother had a clot or some whatever thing in his leg. He went to the doctor three or four times with a pain in his leg and it did take them a long time. It took them several different tests 
to figure it out. So I don't know, like we don't know the whole story. Obviously, we weren't there. We don't know the whole story. No. But I think it's a combination of men waiting until it's too late. I'll tell you the difference right. I'm gonna tell you the difference right now. Sometimes that shit is not easy to find. Right. Your person was going to a doctor. He was checked into one of the best hospitals in the nation. And also the stories that he. Some of the best medical doctors. I'm just that. And and I want to make this other point. I think a lot of it too, Mishy. And you just tell me Mm -hmm. if you agree with this or not. The fact that we don't have a lot of doctors who that look are black. like you—that's very true. And right? the story with John is that he flew in from Costa Rica and knew something was wrong, so he immediately checked himself. And they and always he told them he was on a flight. Right? So do you know how many times? So I fly, I drive all the time. Y'all all know right. this. Do you know how many times my family is telling me, "Are you are you stopping every hour to two hours? Are you walking around? Yep. Or when you get to your hotel, don't immediately lay down." The story also is that he knew that this was really serious to go see a doctor because he's also a person who suffered from high blood pressure. So these are all red flags for yes. someone who's going exactly. to the hospital. It's like you have leg pain, you have blood pressure, and you know, and it's just to to have suffered a stroke that was that hard that he ended up in life support and not being able to come out of Even it. Even if it wasn't because he was a man of a color, a man of color, mm-hmm. they're shitty doctors to, to take that long to figure it, that well, yeah. out. Um, I'm not saying that that his, that him being a black man had nothing to do. I'm not saying that because I truly, I absolutely uh, yeah. 100% I think, acknowledge I that first. I, I absolutely agree. But he, he, he the story is that he did not wait because he had underlining health problems. Right. Yes. right. Because, so. I mean, this, this is historically a problem in all hospitals for yes. all people of color. Just, you know. Yeah. 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 Anyway, yeah, it is I, so frustrating to know that he knew he had an underlying health condition like high blood pressure, which is told so them all prevalent with black men. But he knew about it. He told them about that. He had he just got off the. He just got just off a flight. Him, yeah, and told them he got off. A I flight. traveled. I just came back from a flight. Yeah. I have leg pain. I, I mean, I'm. I, like I said, like I'm, what more could he have? Told I went to. I, I could have I, diagnosed I myself a, as I'm about to have. Exactly. I've got a blood clot and I'm about to have a stroke. I have a bachelor's in business from Oklahoma. <laughs> I could have been like, dude, you're, she you're can't about to. Fucking add. I can't add or I <laughs> or have Craig grammar, but I would have been like, John Singleton, you're probably about to have a stroke. Yeah. So anyway, um, he leaves a very rich legacy behind, he and he opened a lot of doors for R.I.P. John Singleton, young I will, filmmakers of color, and I know the Denton Film Fest, the Black Denton Film Festival, put out something that was very touching. And, I read it. Oh yeah, and it, it was like he. I couldn't read it today because I would have started crying. And and one of the things that not it's part of American culture, but. To be able, I don't think that white people realize that when you grow up and you don't see people who look like you on a television, no, and then you start seeing like. all of these stories, like Love Jones was one of the best romantic black films that was out there, to see two people, two black people who are in love, who are part of it, it's just a good story, because those aren't the stories that were being told about us, they're different stories. And honestly, it's a beautiful love story. Beautiful it is. Love, regardless it of, is a, yeah. But for anybody. But I know, I, I, I can, I can... I can see your point of view that yes, you saw, yeah. but it is just a beautiful love story. So, but anyway, that's that's. I just wanted to give a shout out. I don't normally do that. All right. So as usual, we're gonna end with Ray's Bay of the Day. Day of the Bay of the Day. <laughs> I know I fucking up every. Oh week. my god! This is getting ridiculous. <laughs> oh my fucking goodness. Ray's Bay of the Day. Who's Bay of the Day? It's my Ray's Bay of the Day. Um, this is a somber one. But definitely warranted 
Um, earlier this week, there was once again a school shooting. This one was at the University of North Carolina at Charlotte. And a young man by the name of Riley Howell, he was 21, was in his liberal studies class with about 30 other students when the shooter burst in and opened fire. Police Chief Kerr Putney said that he took the fight to the assailant, and unfortunately, he had to give his life to do so, but he saved lives by doing so. Putney said that the 21-year-old, one of two people who was killed in the shooting, knocked the gunman off his feet, which allowed the fellow students the chance to escape, and it also helped lead to his capture. An officer was able to run into the classroom, disarm the suspect, and arrest him. Riley Howell grew up on a farm in Waynesville, North Carolina, and he spent time working with first responders. He dreamed of serving in the military or becoming a firefighter. And it's unfortunate that a lunatic with a gun once again took a good person's life. But Riley Howell, you are definitely the bay, And we thank you because we know that it, so many lives were saved because of you that day. Absolutely. And I know that y'all probably won't hear this, but um, I went to high school in North Carolina in Madison County, very close to Waynesville. Um, apparently, Riley went to AB Tech, and I went to AB Tech for a little while. Mm. Um, so, um, just, you know, sending all my love to you guys, to, to the community out there. That's I know even now, 20 years later, I know that's still a tight-knit community. So, thinking right. about you guys and sending lots of love. Um, I would like to express my deepest condolences to his family um, and also for whatever is worth congratulate them for raising a young person who was ahead of his time. Brave young man. Uh, I'm probably going to cry. Because, I know um, I was like I'm already waving my, my <clears throat> eyes because he be... basically ran towards a man with a gun that was killing people and just said to be, to be that young and be that selfless and put yourself some people are just ahead of their time and they see the universe in a different light than we do and i'm sending his family all the light and all the love and what an exceptional young person that y'all raised yeah, yeah yeah um huh. just a second god ray <laughs> take a second I know, fuck. um anyway thank you ray for that You're welcome. we all we all saw the story this week we talked about it yeah. i figured ray was going to come in with that but it was well-deserved, Riley. Definitely. So, um... Fly high, Riley. Fly high. Hey, you know what? Riley, cheers to you tonight. This is for you. And, um, stay tipsy, my drunk delegates. We need it more than ever. Yep. Stay yeah. tipsy. All right. We'll see you next week. politics. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DBAP Pod. If you have questions or suggestions, email us at drunkbpolitics at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. It's the best way to show your support and spread the word.